This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Joe Lamantia. Joe, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Michael. I wanted to start out by describing him as a sculptor, but he uh, said that uh, that really doesn't cover the whole thing. You've seen Joe's work all over town, and it's a lot more than just sculptures. Well, I I started that way only because that I work three dimensionally. But as time went on, I realized it didn't describe what I did. So I started calling myself a collaborative sculptor. And then after a while, that didn't fit anymore. And I, because I did more than sculpture, or I didn't want to limit myself just to sculpture. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to do collaborative art. And that lasted until I decided that title didn't work as much anymore either. Uh, it didn't just really describe what I was doing. And I uh, came up with calling myself a community artist. But what I really call myself is a community artist who facilitates and collaborates. And I think that more gets down to describing who I am and what I do. We think of artists as always working alone. But as I go through all the things you've done are you ever alone? Not really. Um, maybe the only time I'm alone is when I'm trying to figure out what this project's going to be after we do a large brainstorming session with the group or community or school that I'm working with. But outside of that, uh, I, I don't choose to be alone because I really think that the process is really where everything is for the art that I do. If you don't know who Joe Lamantia is, I don't know why, because his stuff is all over. Let me just describe a few of the things that I'm sure you've passed by in your car or as a pedestrian. There is almost most famously the Flying V guitar. That's at the 7th Street Garage. That's a gigantic guitar sculpture with, if I recall correctly, Joe, it's almost like big, thick ropes as the, as the strings. About how big from top of the neck uh, to the end of the base? 34 feet. 34 feet. You made this out on the street. Well, let me, let me when you say I made this, let Go me clarify right so people understand um, how the process works. I worked with an engineer who did the, uh, I did the sketch for it. I uh -huh. came up with the concept, the idea for it. But who made it? Well, uh, Bruce's Welding, they did all the welding on this project. Uh -huh. And I was there kind of helping them, uh, just guiding how the drawing worked with them. So, so they would be making sort of like the, the framework. interior framework. That's yes. right. Yeah. right. It, I mean, it had a, I mean, having the engineer and having them, it had to be professional. Uh -huh. And that's pretty much how I collaborate, yeah, um, yeah. working with professionals that are either part of the um, school or uh, are part of the community. Now, much of your work revolves around found objects. Right. 
and found objects for this guitar. Well, yes, well, or recycled objects. Okay. Found, recycled, I mean, it's they're almost one and the same. Yes. But in this case, um, the recycled objects were the uh, tuners. There were uh, hep, hubcaps for um, trucks, and I got <laughs> that at Auto Heaven. Uh, Chuck there, he's a great guy. The uh, city and the county actually gave me all the uh, signs, and uh, also road signs. the road signs, and the um, and also the post. There were license plates involved. License plates, yes. When I had an article in the paper about that, as I was beginning this project, uh, I got a call from a, a, this lady, and, and she says, "You know, my dad has incredible collections of, of <laughs> uh, plates, and I'm really in, trying to encourage him to uh, move them out of the house. I mean, he has so <laughs> many, and so." I went over there and um, sat with him, and we talked. He says, yeah, let me show you. We went into his grandson's room, and he had all 50 plates, uh, license plates, on the walls of his grandson's room. They had them in rows, and they just kept on going around the uh, the walls. 50, you mean, of all the states? All the states. Wow. And I said, wow. I said, wow. I said, well, how much do you want for these? He says, no, no, I'm going to give them to you. And I just want to say this. I experienced such giving doing these projects that, you know, just it brings tears to my eyes because of the such wonderful, gracious people that I, I run into that not only give me materials but give me themselves in terms of wanting to work on a project. And, I mean, I consider myself a teaching artist. And and I think being on the street, uh, with, like with this project, is such an important aspect of, of the process I do. I want to share with the community how something's done. It's not magic. It's not magic. And everybody can do something if they want. Even in, in this case, people sometimes, sometimes people came by and just uh, looked at it, and I asked them, well, you want to sign your name to it? Yeah, they'll sign their name to it. And... So, <laughs> and um, or um, people walking by after a week or two saying that, boy, I've been watching this. This is cool. Yeah. And that's, to me, it associates a community. It, it really associates you, uh, the, the people with the community because when they see that up on the parking lot, uh, they can you know, hopefully remember when they saw it being worked on yeah. and um, they were there. So they have that relationship. I certainly recall seeing you working with a screwdriver and pliers and so forth, putting license plates on the frame of the guitar mm -hmm. right outside of this station, WFHB, here on 4th Street. Well, I mean, uh, it, I, I, I feel blessed the fact that we have a community radio station, WFHB, and actually my second, my first project really when I first started off as a community or collaborative sculptor was with a, um, a an eagle that was commissioned by the solid waste um, at that time solid waste and uh, recycling materials and so I d did this large eagle we did a plywood base or outline of the eagle and then we built it up with VHS material yeah and all those little black components we just screwed them right down and we built huh. up the we built up the, the the body with that you mean like tape cassettes tape cassettes uh, VHS. Yeah, yeah vhs yeah. right and so it was one way of recycling those materials and uh, giving them some use 
Um, and eventually that project went to um, Arlington Elementary because they're the Eagles, and so they have the wow. Eagle there. And uh, then Brian Carney, he says, hey, can you do me a firehouse dog? And I said, sure. That began kind of a relationship with WFHB where I started doing things outside, and it's just been a, a real treat. Brian Carney being the former general manager. Right. Yeah. Let me just name a couple of others, and then I want to go into the dog who we call... Spot. Spot. You've done the cat, and everybody knows the cat over at Fairview School. The cat who looks like uh, he or she, I don't know which gender it is, is going, ooh. That ooh has to do with a, um, that's a fire um, chute that was on the old part of the building. Uh-huh. And it was, so if there was a fire, you open up the door and you went into the chute and you would shoot down. Like slide down, a person could yeah, slide down. slide right down. And um, that was the end of it. Huh. And um, I always thought, you know, maybe someday I'd, I'd like to do something with that. Yeah. And uh, when it came about time for the school to reinvent itself, and I talked with the principal, and I said, well, why don't we uh, do a brainstorming session with the kids and come up with a project? And we did, and we came up with the cat. Uh, and the cat's actually, the face of the cat is a child's drawing. And so uh, what, I, what I try to do is use parts of the old building to put into the sculpture. And so if you look real closely, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, all from the old building. You used to, when you were a kid, walk around and just pick stuff up off the ground. Right. When I was growing up, I lived in, I'm from Chicago, and I was growing up, and we used to have what I used to call prairies. They yeah. were they were just um, little um, places. Empty lots, Empty right? lots yeah. that went on and on and on, and, and so we used to play there, and we'd make forts, and we'd make, and I would make things uh, from the things I found, and so really that's pretty much how it all began for me, you know. What I, kind of things would you pick up? Well, I I pick up uh, like uh, crates, and I and and uh, I'd make a uh, scooter where I'd have uh, some oh, yeah. two by four and put uh, right. skates, those little skates on either end, yeah, yeah, and with a little handle, and I'd go down the street with it. <laughs> You're bringing back memories. <laughs> Even when you mentioned the license plate thing, we're of the. Uh, generation where dads in our neighborhoods would save all their license plates in the garage nail them up on the wall that's right that's right. in fact that's i mean when i when i when i saw this uh, the guy whose name is jerry who gave me the 50 state uh, 50s yeah. plates um i had a, i said jerry i hope you don't mind but i have to t- call the ht and tell him about this because <laughs> he showed me another room where he had it was about as big as the studio, and he had almost from floor to ceiling with license plates. Wow. And um, they did a story on him, and it was just great. Uh, I, I, the, the stories that I, people have told me by, by coming into their home and giving me parts and pieces of, for projects are just unbelievable. Just, I mean, I believe them, and they're just so rich. Now, here's a project that wasn't a found thing or a recycled thing. You participated in Jill Bolt Taylor's brain extravaganza. Let me go back to the original prototype. Okay. Because I did that with Jill. 
Ah. And we did that at Stonebelt. Uh, Jill had asked me, she was just trying to figure out how she was going to do this brain and how, what, how she was going to, because she wanted to build it. And I said, well, I can do it. You can do a big brain like this? And I said, have you ever done anything like this? And I said, no, not really a brain, but I can do it. Yeah. And so we had a great time working on it. And uh, we did it at Stonebelt. And then once the brain was fabricated, she I think we had 24 brains fabricated uh, with their out of um, fiberglass. Uh-huh. Um, she found an artist for each brain and and gave them out with the themes. And 12, I think 12 or 14 of those 24 brains were actually worked on at Stonebelt. Uh-huh. Stone, I worked on one with Stonebelt, and I worked one out, I worked on another that had to do with uh, brain damage. And so there was a big helmet and yeah. how people get, you know, concussions and things of that nature. We should add that these things, these brains, which are all over, some of them, you can still see them here and there, five feet by five feet by four feet. And make no mistake, you look at them, you know that's a brain. It was it was just a great experience working with her because um, when you when you do something for the first time, you, you you're discovering what you can do as you work on it. She's the author of My Stroke of Insight. Yes. About her own experience suffering a stroke. Yes. You have worked with at schools, organizations, people ranging in age from preschool to elderly. Now, here's an interesting thing. You say the creative process is just as valuable as the finished product. You're talking about working with other people. And then you go on to say each day is a celebration of community. Community's the key for you. That's right. That's right. We're together working on something. It's, 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 it's a dance. It's a, it's a relationship that you have um, in this experience of doing something. I, I just, to me, it's, there's nothing like learning. There's nothing like sharing. Just yeah. Just nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, because you get to know yourself, you get to know somebody else, and I'm, I'm the better because of it. Yeah. Whereas the objects just, you know, you, oh, yeah, I can point to it or people can point to it and reminisce, and that's okay, that's good. But if that was were taken away, it, it'll never take away the experience. Right. So that's that's where I that's where I put the importance. How about this ten week program called Living Yarns? Uh, you worked with kids, elementary school kids. It was a ten week program, two hours a day, once a week, and what the kids were to do is draw pictures. They would draw pictures of somebody in their life who had a positive influence. Uh huh. But it, it couldn't, it had to be in their immediate life. It couldn't be somebody on the TV set. See, Someone it, they knew that they could touch. Right, somebody who really had a, a relationship with. So then they would draw that person, and then we would uh, put four portraits on a banner that was four feet by six feet. So each portrait was two, two by three. And um, we would uh, take the drawing, and we, I would... Uh, uh, project it and uh, draw it on with a white magic marker and then we'd use this industrial double stick tape on top of it 
And then we would bring it to the school, uh, and the kids would also have had that drawing uh, done in color so that they would choose the colored yarns they would work with. And when we pulled the, the paper away, they would outline it in black and then virtually fill the color into those areas. Uh-huh. So it was really a very simple process, but the end result was fantastic. When I was reading this, I was trying to figure out where does yarn fit in, but that explains it. It does. It just, and then when you touch it, it just feels so nice. And so um, they're able to do that for the project. And then, um, and that usually takes about eight weeks, sometimes to 10, but usually some kids finish before others. And so then we have the children, uh, we give them a, a piece, a piece, one foot by one foot of sheet magnet material and they can draw another portrait on that of themselves or uh, of a friend and they do the same process we'll cover it after the we'll cover it with uh, double stick tape and then they fill it in then they take that portrait and stick it on the refrigerator joe why is it easier for a kid to draw a picture than an old bat like me i think it's all it has to do with their minds their minds don't say they can't do it. They, they're not afraid to make mistakes. No, no. It's just when you get older, you start thinking that you know, and and or that they have to hold on to it. Yeah. I mean, I've had kids come to me, and I say, I say, I really like it. Oh, you can have it. I said, No, no, it's yours. Oh, no, I can do another one. <laughs> they just keep on coming. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just it's, you know. I think perhaps this is why we have a lot of people who like to uh, teach in elementary schools. It's just, it's, it's such a wonderful atmosphere of, of abundance and creativity because there's no sense of lack. There's no sense I can't do. Yeah. And it's, such, it's so genuine, you know, and, and, and it's wonderful to be in that atmosphere. I mean, I feel younger being with children. I'm not going to betray your actual age. I don't know how uh, vain or not you are about it. I'm 72. You, uh, as you say, grew up in Chicago? Yes. What was your neighborhood? I I grew up on the southwest side. Um, My neighborhood was middle, maybe lower middle class, Uh middle class. Um, Everyone pretty much worked. It was pretty mixed. You know, you didn't have... It was segregated. Oh, I never, yeah. I never realized how segregated it was. I, I never thought about it right. until I got into sports, and then we played um, a lot of black schools and stuff. But um, that didn't phase me much at all. But I, I, I think I grew up kind of sheltered in that way of yeah. not really knowing that there was so much racism in in this country. Right. Um, yeah. Because it all seems so natural. This is this is the world that I'm in. You right. think when just, you're a kid, right? You're just growing up. You're playing. You do this. You do that. And you don't. I think it isn't. Well, now I think it's changed so much because we have such so much more exposure, so much media, so much stuff. I think you know. I, I I'm I'm so grateful that you know we have so much education, so much knowledge, so much sharing. So that stories can get out and people can get to know more about what's going on, and didn't have that so so much happening in Chicago when I was growing up. You know, you didn't. You must have been one of the first graduating classes of the University of Illinois at Chicago. The the well, I can't very well call it the new campus now. It was built in the '60s. 
Yeah, I, I started in 65, uh -huh. and um, I started, and I was going to be, I wanted to be an architect. Um, I uh -huh. worked in the field for about five years. Uh, as I was going to school, I, was, I worked with engineers, oh. and I worked with architects. I was a draftsman. Yeah. And, um, but I, it was a very tumultuous time, as you know. And um, I just decided I didn't want to get into politics because I thought of architecture because being in kind of being exposed in the field as in the office, I realized there were a lot of politics, and I, I just oh, did yeah. I didn't I didn't want to do that. So I finally got my degree in art education. But what I really loved was the training I had. I had Bauhaus training, uh -huh. and uh, the Bauhaus, if people don't know about it, it it was a wonderful exposure to all the arts working together. It was really when you talk about collaboration, that was kind of the beginning of collaboration in the arts in terms of the Western Hemisphere anyway, in terms of uh, um, uh, in Germany. You had all these people working. Uh, you had designers, dance, dance. You had uh, industrial design. You had everybody working with one another, and it created such beautiful stuff. Actually, I was a very, I was a fan of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright uh -huh. because I really loved when I was reading about what he did. Um, and you had a lot of his um, architecture in Chicago. Yes, actually, Chicago was a wonderful place to grow up uh, with architecture. There was a certain romance to it. There was a sense that he liked to work with the nature of materials. So yeah. wherever he was, he tried to use materials that surrounded the 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 place that um, he was building. Yeah. So um, you go out in the desert, he'd use, use things from the desert. Right. Yeah, it was, it was, and I have always felt really akin to that um, philosophy. The idea almost being that his structures came out of the earth. Right, organic. Yeah. yeah organic. I, in fact, I think, I think of when I, when I work with um, people at schools or, or organizations, when we do brainstorming, it's a real natural organic process. You have a lot of ideas, and what I try to do is take those ideas and try to uh, try to create groups of relationships. So I try to make as many ideas work together to form a project. And then I remember one child came up to me and Mr. Lamantia, I don't see I don't see my idea anywhere. And I said, you know, sweetheart, I um I, I couldn't use every idea, but, but um, thank you for letting me know that. And so after that, this is the beauty. After that, I took all the ideas that it, when we would, and I would create a book of ideas. Ah. So the ideas that we didn't use could be used for other projects. It was a great lesson that yeah. she taught me. Yes. I mean, I used, that's why I used it, but I, I didn't have any place to put the ideas. And, and that's, that's the, the beauty about, and to me that's organic. When you have a problem and and someone or you face it and come up with a solution, it it just steers you in a direction that makes it better. Yeah, and it answers those problems become creative solutions. And I feel blessed that way. I you know everything that I've tried to face with these projects have turned out to be w wonderful solutions that I feel such gratitude for uh, being given that opportunity to face. You're not just a teacher, you're a student. That's right. Now, spot. 
I was just talking with our news director, Wes Martin, who said he didn't realize how heavy that darn thing is. It's very heavy. It's also filled with stuff, apparently. Right. Um, when we were putting it together, the framework first, um, I was thinking about uh, where, how, how to... Actually, it was one of those projects that, it was, again, it was the second project that I did, so I yeah. wasn't sure how it was all going to come together um, until we did it. In that case, I built kind of a framework so that I was going to put wire mesh around the, the shape, uh -huh. and then I developed a technique uh, with sawdust and glue. And I'd use um, a sawdust that was, uh, or a glue that was uh, for the outside so that if, st uh, if spot was going to be outside, it wouldn't uh, deteriorate in any way because yeah. it, it could be that way. And so, but I needed to stuff it. And so um, the guys at the station, and, and when I say guys, I mean women as well as yeah. men, they would get, they, they said, hey, we can give you some CDs and tapes that, you know, we're, we're getting these all the time and we're doing reviews and there's a lot we're not using. So if you want to use this to put in, uh, put in spot, go, please. And so I did. And, and a lot of times they would have little notes attached to the, the tape or the CD. And these would, because it would go to one person, then another person at the, um, uh, at, the at this facility to review and um, so you'd have all these different notes about the the music. And so all that's inside spot like a piñata. <laughs> well, you're hoping nobody's going to bat at it, though. Yeah, really, no. <laughs> Although we did, <laughs> we did have an incident where uh, spot was at 4th Street. And I remember Brian Kearney calling me up and says, Joe, we had a little incident with spot. Uh-oh. Um, apparently somebody, you know, these two people pushed Spot down, and broke the ear, and a hat got damaged. Oh, no. And, and he it's said, got a well, fireman's hat. Yeah, fireman's hat. So can you, uh, you think you can come and take a look at it? I said, oh, sure. So I went to look at it, and and I said, yeah, I can fix that. He said, but he says, well, these, and he told me it was two young women, and apparently they were drunk. And uh -oh. um, I said, I'd like to talk to them. I wanted to know why they did this. Oh. I mean, interesting thing happened with that is that he said to me he says well what should we do i mean i said um as a any restitution or something i said what 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 i have the one have the one of these young women work with me to repair it and so that's what she did she worked with me in repairing it and i remember one of the firemen coming by because we were doing it outside over um i think it was at the other yeah, fire station um, yeah and um, just down the block, just on down Fourth the block Street. and down Fourth Street, and the fireman came by and he says, "You know, boy, just why would somebody do something like this? I just, you know." And he didn't know this young woman was working next to me, and I didn't just say, talking, yeah. I didn't say a thing, and I thought it was really great for her to hear just a comment about what happened without her feeling that it was aimed at her. And so I thought, you know. And she and to get an idea how people felt about Spot, and I thought that was a real good thing because she had no idea what this dog represented. I thought I might just call him a sculptor, but that's not good enough. He is a collaborator. He is a community activist in a hands-on sense. Mm -hmm. He's a teacher. He's a student. Joe Lamantia, thanks for being on Big Talk. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.